Continuing our discussion of Chaitanya Charitamrita, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's travels. Starting a new chapter. Tambande Gaura Jala Dham Swasya Yo Darshanam Ritai Vichedha Bhagraha Mulana Bhakta Shashyani Ajibayat. Krishna's Kavira says, I offer my respect to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is like a cloud that pours water on fields of grain. Those fields of grain are like the devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who are suffering from a shortage of rain. The shortage of rain in this poetic description analogy is their separation, the separation that they're feeling from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which is like a great drought. They're feeling separation, of course, because he's gone from the holy place of Jagannath Puri on the sea to the south of India, and he's been gone for two years traveling. So two years they had to be without his company. So it's compared to like a like a great drought, and they themselves, like the grains in the field, suffering from that lack of rain, which is likened to his good company, and he himself, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, to the cloud. However, Krishna says, when he returns. His presence is like rain of nectar that falls on the grains and saves them from perishing and separation. So this verse, the Sanskrit verse, sets this scene for this next chapter, which involves the return of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to Jagannath Puri. Again, as I said, after two years of traveling, was with great uh, pain that they, uh, and uh, heartfelt pain, I mean, pains of love that they saw him off and and although they tried to resist his going with affectionate dealings, they nonetheless acquiesced to his desire to go, understanding him to be independent like saintly people are. Of course, here he's considered to be Krishna himself, but even for that matter, saintly person, realized souls, they're independent in their behavior, unattached. So this will come out here a little bit in in the beginning section. We'll go through it, see how far we get. Jai Jai Sri Chaitanya Jai Nityananda Jai Dvita Chandra Jai Bhaktivinda Krishna says, as he does at the beginning of every chapter, in his own language, Bengali, says, Jai, victory to Chaitanya, Jai, victory to Nitananda, his principal associate, Jai Advaita, uh, the moon of Advaita, another principal associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and Jai, victory to all of his devotees. Purbe Jobe Mahaprabhu Chalila Dakshine so he's 
says that previously, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu went to the south, that the Raj, the king, his name is Pratap, Pratapardra of Puri, which is where they're residing, the home of the great uh, Jagannath temple, probably the biggest temple in Southeast Asia, next to that Angkor Wat, which is famous in, what, Cambodia, but it's, that uh, temple is uh, no longer functioning, for, and it hasn't been for many, many years. So, Jagannath Puri, very big temple in size and, uh, and um, big in cooking also, largest uh, kitchens and uh, kitchen complex in all of uh, the world. Because the deity eats, what is it, 54 times a day, something like 56 times a day. They have offerings 56 times a day. And so the whole temple is the, and life of the deity is the economy of the whole city. People cook, people grow the food, they make dresses and ornaments and so many things. The temple uh, is, uh, and the deity's life is the economy, as they say, of the whole city. It's a Tirtha, it's a Dham, it's a, a holy place. <clears throat> and so the Raj, the king of this holy place, who at the time was very uh, powerful, this was the time of Muslim occupation of um, much of India, and uh, Bengal to the north had been completely occupied and was ruled by the Muslim by the Muslims who tolerated the Hindus to some extent. But um, in their aggressive outreach and exploitation, warring exploits, they were not able to penetrate into Jagannath Puri because of the might and uh, and devotion of the Raj devoted to the deity of Jagannath. Jagannath means Lord of the Universe. So big deity in the temple there, Hindu deity. It's the deity of Krishna, actually, and the Raj derived a lot of strength from him, the idea is, and he was able to stave off the uh, onslaught of the, uh, the, the Muslims, and powerful as he is, and, and, and whatnot, king of the land. We see now here something about his sense of... Um, Sadhus, saintly persons, now he related to them. So this is characteristic of the culture. He was the king, which is, you, know, you can't get higher than that. He's a uh, you know, monarchy. He is, uh, they can't have, they don't have bread, give him cake, you know, it's like that. So there's, uh, he's uh, on top of the heap. But the difference here in uh, this uh, monarchies of India is that uh, there's a regard for the saintly sector of society by which the Rajas are ruled, so to speak, not in a, overtly but covertly or indirectly. They're ruled by the example and the advices of saintly persons. I suppose that was true in Europe to some time at some point also. I think that the European emperors of of Rome, when they fell, Constantine or whatever was converted, then they came under the papal 
authority. So there's a semblance of this that we find in Europe also, where there's the, the kings in charge, but they have regard for the... They're doing the bidding of God as they would see it. And so there was some, perhaps, uh, acknowledgement of the author- papal authority, but with the crumbling of the uh, church in terms of its example and whatnot, and the priesthood was lost, and that was a great loss. Because what happens then is if kings who are naturally enjoyers by nature, I mean, the very name king, conjures up in your mind all kinds of enjoyable um, possibilities and acquisition and so forth. This is the really antithesis of spirituality in a sense because spirituality involves a healthy um, detachment that derived from objective um, view of the nature of our material circumstances. In other words, if we step back from our material circumstances enough to view it objectively, we can see that it's not what it appears to be when we get up close to it. It appears, for example, that that the uh, there are many enjoyable things to be had through our by our senses, forms to see and sounds to hear, and smells to smell and, and tastes to taste and and uh, things to touch and so on and so forth, all of which it appears when we are up, up close, so to speak, that will fulfill us. But if we step back for a moment and contemplate with a little objectivity, a little element of detachment, then we can see that what I want is enduring happiness. And what I can get from any sense object, in terms of drinking it in with my senses, is a happiness that is not enduring it may last for a little while, but then it will be gone. So this doesn't hold as much as the world seems to be inviting us. Be happy. Enjoy. It's, it's, it's false. It's like a carrot. That's, you know, just a little bit further. Just if you just connect a few more dots or something like that, everything is going to work. We sense that everything's going to work and it should work because it does work. But we have, in order to, to arrive at that solution, so to speak, of firm ground, not only firm ground to stand on, security, but happiness as well. Indeed, in one sense, happiness is the firm ground, regardless of what the material circumstances may be, and that happiness is derived from love. So we have a sense that that uh, this can be achieved, and it can, because it is it is the um, the potential of the soul. So we're sensing our own self, our own potential, but our attachment to matter is obscuring the fact that we are a soul to begin with. So this kind of confusion. So at any rate, stepping back, a little detachment gives us a different picture. And we start to think that material acquisition in and of itself uh, is um, not what uh, happiness amounts to. I, you know, we're developing a project in Costa Rica and we just bought a, uh, a car. It's a kind of a, she called it a mini tank, but it's a, it's, a, it's an old Toyota Land Cruiser. They're popular down there, and, and uh, you know it can drive across rivers and, and whatnot and so forth. And some of the terrain can be a little rugged down there in places. Of course, there are roads and everything too, but it's a fair opportunity for off-roading and whatnot. 
anyway, a nice man and her husband, and they, they have a little hotel from Los Angeles. But um, they've been down there for four years, and they're coming back. They're coming back to spend six months here and six months there, rather than full-time there, which they decided to do a few years ago. And, and uh, she wrote me and said her family thought they were absolutely nuts. But they went, and it was quite a change of lifestyle for them, living in Southern California. They were living in Monteverde, which, which is not where we have our property, but I know the area. It's a popular area for Westerners. Um, it's actually a place where uh, the many years ago, the um, I want to say the Quakers, I think it was the Quakers, moved down there, the community of them and bought a lot of land many, many, many years ago and so forth. And, and, um, and they, at a certain point, um, established themselves in such a way that they were man managed to bring about legislation to protect the environment there. Anyway, so it's a very nice area in many respects and very environmentally sensitive, as all of Costa Rica is, but even within that, more so. And so not all the Western people have lived there. It's supposed to be a nice area. I haven't been there yet, but uh, it's also called the the cloud forest area. So these clouds come down, and they they you kind of live in this cloud. It's like a mist. It's hot, but there's this like mist all the time, so that people rationalize about how nice it is. But some people are more well. They have a different opinion. Let's put it like that. <laughs> it rains a lot there. Like where our land is, we get about 80 inches of land. There it'll get a couple hundred inches per year. That is a lot of rain. I know I lived in Hawaii for oh, some time on the big island in the, in the uh, Waipio Valley area. And it's, it is a, a beautiful, beautiful area, but it's a rainforest. And um, it rained for like three weeks straight when I was there once. And I'm, I mean... A lot of rain, like you know, big drops like this. And um, so anyway, she was telling me that her first year it rained 28 days straight, heavy, heavy rains. And coming from Southern California, it was a little difficult for her. Not only coming from Southern California, but from coming from Los Angeles where, you know, there's a lot of things to do and whatnot. And it's kind of like the rainy season in India where people kind of shut down. This was traditionally the idea. We're, we're now in the midst of the what's called the Chaturmasya uh, in a, a Indian uh, sadhu culture, spiritual culture of India. Four months, Chatur means four, Mas means month. Four months of the rainy season where the saints who would travel around typically with no particular home, homeless, but the whole world, their home, um, that kind of big conception they carried in their heart, they would cease from traveling because of the rain. So they would hold up in one place, and holding up in one place, they would be more fasting, austerities, meditation, and so forth, and scriptural study that they'd preoccupy with them, themselves with. So coming from L.A. and whatnot, she wasn't inclined or predisposed to meditate or fast or any, any such things, and her active nature and so forth was rather restricted by the rain and and so forth. So she was explaining to me some of these obstacles that she experienced, but how, nonetheless, she learned from them. And coming back, as she has recently to Los Angeles, where they're not going to spend half their year and so forth, she said she had a whole different view of things. For example, she saw somebody, so many big houses with two 
you know, brand new cars and so forth. And she thought how, uh, gee, you know, for the price of that house and those two cars, we could have built seven or eight or ten homes for Costa Rican people. You know, so she got a little bit of a perspective and, uh, and was telling me how in her own estimation she was, had become less materialistic, which is, which was accurate to some extent by the, by the circumstance. I wrote to her, I said, it's, it's, it's wonderful to think how in, in effect, obstacles afford us an opportunity to grow, yet we so much try to avoid them. Hmm. <laughs> so, uh, the devotional perspective is perhaps there are no obstacles, only service opportunities that come our way, or ways to do it better, or something like that. So, at, at any rate, material acquisition may appear to be the what, it, what life is all about and how to become happy, but... There are other ways of, of looking at it, and, uh, and they may be more accurate, and saintly persons do. And so a king that who is an enjoyer just by nature, if he or she, queen, is, are not, if the royalty are not advised, edited, let's say, by saintly persons, then you find the kind of monarchical corruption that has made monarch, given monarchy a bad name, <laughs> but like that, in, in the world today, uh, abuses and, and so on and so forth. But the, uh, the system in India, and it seems to have been to some extent in Europe, I don't guess not originally because you had, well anyway, it's hard to make comparisons, but at any rate, at any rate in India, the, the kings were advised by sadhus. Each king had a saintly advisor and he would give sight from the scriptures and so forth. So they were, they were the rulers overtly, but covertly the spiritual class, priestly class, the saints and whatnot, uh, the sadhus, saintly persons. They were ruling. So here the king is approaching Sarvabhoma, who's the, the pundit, the scholar of the, of the, of the town, most learned person in the town and, and kind of like a guru to the king. He's asking the king about this Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, this saint, and we'll see how concerned he is about him and why, as I'm saying, to, to a large extent, his kingdom was as successful as it was because he had this, these kind of spiritual sensibilities that he allowed himself to be edited by, guided by, and so forth, despite of his worldliness and, uh, that, uh, that, that kind of Comes with the with the with the uh, territory of being a being a king. So he called Sarvabhoma to his palace. At the time that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu departed, so Krishna is taking us back a little bit now to the beginning of the previous chapter, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu left. And what happened just afterwards? The king called Sarvabhoma to his palace, and he said, "Bosite asana dila kuri namaskare." Mahaprabhu Bhatt Tobi Buchila Tanghari. Krishna says, he explains in the narrative, when Sarvabhuma met the king in his palace, the king offered him a seat with all respects for the pundit and inquired from him about news from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Sunilana Tomaru Gore Ek Mahashai Gorahite Oila King Ho Mahakripomai. So the king uh, said to the uh, learned Sarvabhuma, I heard that uh, a great personality came from Bengal and was, was staying in your home 
And I heard that he's very merciful. Tomari bahu kripa kuila kohi sarvajan kripokori kaha karaha mori tanghara darshan. So I've also heard that uh, this great personality has shown you favor. And um, I've heard this from many people. So please, I would like you to be merciful to me and arrange an interview with him for me, that I could come in his presence and, and be graced by him. So, Bhattacharya said that uh, it's true, what you've heard is true, but uh, as far as arranging an interview, that will be very difficult. I don't think that will be possible. Virakta sannyasi tenho rohina nirjane sopneha nakorin tenho rajdarshane He says this Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is very renounced sannyasi and completely detached from worldly affairs. He stays alone in solitary places and even in dreams. He does not grant interviews to kings. What's happening here is that Krishna is making a contrast between worldliness and renunciation, how they don't they don't go together, and how a saintly person, a king, a sannyasi, in this context, doesn't want to be identified with worldliness. Otherwise, whatever he or she may have to say and offer. People may not uh, um, take them seriously if they think they're bought and paid for, for example, by the royalty. you got a pundit, a learned person, but he's, he's in your pocket, and you're the politician, and his position is compromised, so he doesn't want to have an appearance in the public of being compromised. And, and on a lower level, he wants to teach, by example, that if you want to be a saintly person, it's not a good idea to associate with overly materialistic people. That won't be conducive to that. So he says it's, he doesn't even, even in dreams think about talking with with, with a king. Tatapi prokare tomar koraitamo darshan samprati korilatengho dakshina gaman. Anyway, besides that, I would have tried to arrange it, but he's gone to the south. Rajkohe Chaganal Chodi Kinegela Botokohe Mahanter Eklila. Why has he left? the king said. Jagannath Puri, which is my 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 kingdom and it's fortified, saintly persons are protected here and so forth. They can follow their Hindu Dharma and and so on without any difficulty. And but the charges are room replies, Mahanter Eklila. This is the Leela of Mahant, a great person. This is the divine play. Leela means divine play. It means it implies independence. They do what they, what they like. I, we cannot reason about it. They're otherworldly. They're, mo- they're moving in the world for, by, by another motivation than us. Something is moving them. That's, we're moved by attachments. And our identity is derived from those attachments. Our sense of self is 
derived from our attachment. My my husband, my wife, my children, my house, my country makes me, you know, an American or whatever the country may be, married or unmarried, um, and so on and so forth. That's these, all, all these senses of identity that we have materially. They're derived from our desires, from our attachments. You can see then how fleeting this sense of identity is because our desires change, our attachments change. That's why we can't really kind of get our feet on the ground, so to speak, or the ground's always moving. So freedom from desire stops the ground from moving. It gives us a different perspective and a sense of identity that, that moves in the direction of an, of an enduring identity and so forth. It's not threatened. I don't have to struggle to maintain and, and, and so on. And in that identity still there may be some movement that is a movement of joy of another fulfillment that comes from that. This is the idea of Leela. So he says, great persons like this, they're Leela, they do. What can I say? How can it be explained? You have to go there within and find out. Otherwise, he says, Tirta Pobitro Korite, Kore Tirta Brahmana, Se Chali Nistrai Nistarai Sangsarika Jan. So he gives anyway some, anyway, I'll give some explanation of what, what his motive is. On the plea of going to holy places in order to purify them, he's gone. But uh, uh, in doing so, it's actually delivering many people. He quotes a Bhagavad verse, Sanskrit verse. Bhavad Vidha Bhagavatas Tirtu Bhuti Bhuta Swayam Vibhu Tirti Kurvanti Tirtani Santastena Gadabhritta. It's a statement made by Emperor Yudhisthira to the Sadhu Vidura. Vidura was going out on Tirtiyatra, means going to holy places. Tirtha means a crossing, a place that is a crossing from, from the implication is from the material world to the spiritual world, kind of a, a, a portal, so to speak, a holy place that, that in and of itself affords one some kind of transportation to uh, the other side, a possibility. Uh, so saintly persons, they go to these, these holy places. In fact, as this verse explains, we'll see they, they are what make the places holy, their presence there. So Vidura wanted to go, and Yudhisthira was attached to having his company. So when Vidura said, I'm going on Tirtiyatra, the king said to him, what, Why bother? He said, Verily, you are a Tirtha. You are a Tirtha. You are a place of pilgrimage. Because wherever you go, you carry the Lord in your heart. And so the implication is that uh, what's the need of a saintly person to go to Tirthas, to holy places? The other side of it is, of course, that what makes the place holy is the presence of those people there. Therefore it's said, we should not go to a holy place without hearing from holy people who live there. Otherwise, we haven't really gone. So people will go in India, for example, they spend their whole life saving to go on pilgrimage to some holy place, to bathe in some sacred river and so forth. And that's fine and all, but 
they don't really enter into the holy environment unless they hear from saintly people who, who, who reside there. In fact, the Gandhis, the sacred river, there's text to the effect that uh, she refused to descend on the earth because she was afraid that so many people would bathe in her and leave their bad karma there. But then Shiva told her, don't worry, saintly people will reside on your banks and they will bathe there and they will counteract the bad karma. So she agreed to come, something like that. So again, another emphasis on the holy people who reside in holy places. The implication being that's what really makes them holy. So just like you don't want to go to um, India and, and, just, and live in a five-star hotel and uh, eat all Western foods and so forth. And you never really went there, so to speak. You've carried your Western sensibilities, American sensibilities, and stayed there the whole time and never penetrated into the culture and and, uh, and interacted in a meaningful way in a cultural, social exchange with the people. So it's the same idea. If you want to go to a holy place, you'll go and hear from a holy person. Therefore, if you can hear from a holy person any place, then that place becomes... You're, you're in one of those portals, so to speak. So this is the logic of Yudhisthira to Vidur when he wanted to go traveling. And Sarvabhama is quoted here to the king of Puri, by way of saying, you know, saints, they do, they do this, they go to holy places. And even though they are holy themselves, and by doing so, they, they barely, they purify those holy places, make them what they are, so to speak. So he's saying, Chaitanya went like this to the south, to holy places, to purify the holy places. So holy is he. Vaishnavira ikhoi ik sabhava nishchal tingho jibo nahena hona Swatantra Ishwar. So he says, Vaishnavs travel to these holy places and um, they do so, they reclaim the, the fallen souls. It's one of, it's, it's their, their nature, they're compassionate by nature. So this is, he's talking about the kind of the compassionate makeup of the Vaishnavs, such as, uh, the, which means a devotee of Vishnu or Krishna, such as their nature. Paradukuduki Kripambudhi. They have no sorrow except that they feel sorry for other people because they have some experience of having passed through that sorrow to come to the happy place that they are, desireless and so forth. And so like a dream, they have a memory like a dream of what it was like. And when they see the people, they're reminded of that. So they naturally have compassion and they extend themselves towards them. But he says another thing here. He says that, however, in the case of Chaitanya, he is more than a Vaishnava, a devotee. This is what devotees do, but he's different still. So, how is that? He says, he is not a jiva, not an ordinary soul. He's an independent Ishwar. He's God, he said. He's Krishna himself. The avatar, the avatar, the incarnation. And so, he's completely independent. So what can we say? Why he does things? If he graces us to know, we can know otherwise. The implication of Ishwar, the word Ishwar, is Ishwar means controller. So God's controlling everything. This is the idea. Not a blade of grass moved out the will of God. So 
if God should make an appearance in some kind of incarnation, as is being discussed here, why he does things. Who can say he's got a lot of things on his mind? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Who could sort it out? This is the idea. Raj kohe tanre tumi chaitte kendile pai podi yatna kori kenena rokile. Upon hearing this, the king replied, Why did you allow him to go? Such a person in your midst, and how did you let him go? Why did you fall at his feet and beg him to stay? Try to keep him here. And the pundit replied, Again, he's completely independent. Swatantra, he's Ishwar. He can, does a Sakshat Sri Krishna. He goes further. He says he's, he's the original Ishwar, completely independent. He's Sakshat Sri Krishna, directly Sri Krishna himself. And so he's not dependent upon anybody. And uh, I may make my plea and still he may go. Tatapi rakite tanre bahujatna kailun ishvarer swatantra icha rakite narilun. Still I endeavored, I tried very hard to keep him here, but because he is who he is, independent Ishwar, then I was not successful. So Rajkahi, hmm, now, here we hear the king's regard for the saintly opinion of, of Sarvabhauma. Sarvabhauma was a pandit and a guru, and, and uh, although he was uh, not a sannyasin or a chagi or an unseate like Mahapu, or a saint, he was a pandit and he's an advisor to the king, as they say, a saintly advisor. And to the advice of such people, naturally the king has regard for Chaitanya, and so he wants his association and so forth. Now we see how the king responds to what the pundit has said. The king, Rajkohi, Bata to me, Bidna Shiromani. He said, Bata, Bata Charja, it's a, it's a respectful title. He replies to the pundit, Tumi Bidna Shiromani. You are like the most crown jewel of knowers, are extremely learned. As I said, at the time, the Sarvamavatacharya was the most learned person in all of India. And as I mentioned previously, his name is in the Encyclopedia Britannica as the most brilliant mathematician of, uh, in India. And India is known for its math, of course. As Einstein said, if it weren't for the Indians, we would be nowhere because of their giving zero to the whole and... and uh, Negative numbers and such things. It all comes from India. So, he was a logician, a mathematician, and well-known. And still today in the annals of history, this this person who's advising the king is, is, is uh, one of the greats, greatest uh, minds. So he says, Vignashi Romani, you are the crown jewel of knowers. Tumitanri Krishna Koha, you address him, Mahabharata is Krishna. No, I accept it. If you say he's Krishna, then that's enough. That's good enough for me. So this shows how much regard he had, how willing he was to be guided by, by the advice of the pundits uh, who knew this, the, the, the sacred texts and so forth. And thus again, his, his strength and his... Uh, 
kingly duties to protect the community and so forth, derived as they were to a large extent from his spiritual sensibilities. He kept, kept his enjoying spirit in balance. Punarapi ihan tanra huile agomana ek ba deki kori sopolunayana. When Mahaprabhu returns, he said, I wish to see him just once in order to make my eyes perfect. Bhatta Chajukohe and the Bhatta replied, Tingho asibe alupukale, rahite tanre ekstana, chohiye birale. He will return soon, and incidentally, I would like to have a nice place for him to stay. It's solitary and peaceful. Thakurer nikata ar hoibe nirjane, emata ninai kori deha ekastane. His residence should be secluded, yet nearer to the temple of Jagannath, nonetheless. So, please consider this proposal, and here's some service that you can you can do indirectly arrange arrange a place for him. Rajkohe ahiche koshimi sher pavan. Takurir Nikata Hoi Paramanir Jan. So the king said, the place of Kazi Mishra is like this. It's very near to the Jagannath temple. At the same time, it's very quiet and solitary. Eta Kohi Raja Rohe Udkan Titahan Vata Chaja Kashi Mishra Kohila Asiya. So after saying this, the king became anxious. For the Lord's return, Utkanta, he developed this kind of Utkanta uh, enthusiasm for that's a kind of separation from the Lord, just by hearing about him, desire to uh, have his company. It's kind of like the Purpuvarag. You hear, we haven't met him yet. But affinity is developing, and you saw his picture, you want to meet him, something like that. Like people fall in love with movie stars, they never met him, or, or but they heard about them, they've seen their picture, and so forth. It's called Purvarag. And this Udkanti, there's a kind of separation that comes in the heart. You haven't even met him, but you're feeling separate, separated from him, because there's a kind of a meeting that takes place through emotion, and so forth. So the king is developing this. In relation to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So Sarvabhama went to Kasimishra and uh, he conveyed the king's desire and Kasimishra Kohe and Kasimishra replied, Ami Bhadda Bhagyavan, I am greatly fortunate, he said. Morgrihe Prabhu Pader Hoibe Avastan. My house is the place for Prabhupada. He can stay at my home. He refers to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as Prabhupada, the Lord of so many Prabhus, Lord of so many teachers, so many lords. I would, this is his house, is, my house is his house. Emato Purushottam Basi Jatto Jan Prabhuke Milite Sabar Utkantitaman. Thus, all the residents of Purushottam, uh, the name for Jagannath Puri, became full of this same utkanta, utkantita, this feeling of anxiousness and anticipation of meeting Chaitanya Mahaprabhu again. So he's, he's creating, what he's doing is creating the, the sense of the, of, of, in the devotees of the 
separation has reached a certain pitch as the chapter began. They're like fields of grain and there's a, there's a drought and they, they can't take it anymore. They need the cloud of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to come and rain the nectar of his association on them in order to, their lives to continue. They're practically reaching the tenth stage of, of separation, death. It's like called death. It's, <laughs> this, the, the dark night of the soul has just gone on for, for too long for them. So he's setting the scene like this, which then what is the, the implication is, and this is the cause of his return. The longing in heart causes the return. So that the presence of the Lord corresponds with the heart of the devotee. The manifestation of the deity corresponds with the heart of the devotee. So where is the Lord? He's in the heart of the devotee more than anywhere else. This is an important philosophical point. So Sarvalokher utkanta jobe atyanto bodila Mahaprabhu dakshine huite tabahi so when the residents became so intensely anxious they just couldn't go on living anymore without his separation, then suddenly he returned from South India. And Shuni Anunditahuila Sabakaruman Sobe Ashi Sarvabome Kohila Nibedan. Hearing of the Lord's return, everyone became very happy. And they went to Sarvabhoma's house and spoke to him. As follows. So we'll stop there. Any question? It's this kind of reading continually about Chaitanya This idea of it is you start to develop these feelings for him, like the people in the book, <laughs> like the king, like Sarvam, like Kashimishir, all of them. And then you'll ride on the waves of that Mahaprabhu's separation, and he's coming back, and then you go there. Like you, like I said, you're like you're watching a drama, and you're seeing the faces of all the people in Puri. They're withering up, drying and dying practically in the separation of love. And then this sentiment comes in in your heart also. You're transported into into the drama, and then you can't wait for the next tradition. Stay tuned. Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita ki jai.